It's August 1969, the height of the Cold War. While the American people seem placated with the winning of the space race, their fears of the Russian threat abated. You, the director of the NSA, have a problem. With the advent of new technologies in hacking and code breaking, national secrets are at a constant risk of being leaked to the enemy. Any communication sent via radio or otherwise is at constant risk of being deciphered and used by the USSR to inflict severe damage to American interests, both at home and abroad. Not only that, but the Russians, now an existential threat to Western democracy, are using covert communications to extend their sphere of influence across the world, placing nuclear missiles in Cuba and inciting violence, violent conflict across Southeast Asia. In such a high-stakes game of diplomacy, information is the ultimate weapon, and, as of right now, it seems that the United States is ill-equipped. While having an algorithm to break all Russian codes, a veritable skeleton key, would be a nice luxury. Your principal goal is to keep American secrets out of enemy hands so they can't be leveraged against the country. What you need is something close to perfect security, an encryption method so complex the likes of which hadn't been seen since the terror of the Enigma. By the height of the Cold War, computers had already started to see mainstream use across many fields. The University of Pennsylvania's Electronic Numerical Integrator and Computer, ENIAC for short, proved that large, complex problems could be solved given enough computing power. And, since then, computers had made their way into every facet of national defense. By 1970, computers had guided men to the moon and were being used to encode covert government communique. However, the world was still relying on what could be only described as antiquated encryption techniques. President Nixon himself used the one-time pad method of encryption in his communications with Moscow, a method of encryption that was provably secure but horrendously difficult to implement on a larger scale. As such, there was a constant fear of American intelligence falling into the wrong hands. Weapons designs, military tactics, anything communicated over the airways was fair game for interception, and so paranoia bloomed at all levels of government. However, the US was not going to take such a threat to national security lying down. With the Red Scare running amok of US politics and political stability, Nixon pushed for the development of a new method of encryption, one so complex that American diplomats and politicians could rest easy, knowing the USSR was powerless to decrypt and leverage intercepted American intelligence. It's now a cold morning in December 1970. You find yourself in a small town just north of New York City. The snow is piled high into banks on street corners, and the air is frigid. Neither of these are, however, obstacles for you as you pull your coat closer to your body and continue your brisk pace along the sleepy streets of town. The commute from DC was uneventful, but you remain paranoid and vigilant because you're carrying very precious cargo. With you is a briefcase containing all sorts of bureaucratic documents and forms, but buried within lines of legal jargon is a proposal for the development of a new kind of cipher, one that would, ideally, guarantee security for any kind of communication. So, who could possibly help you accomplish such a monumental feat in this sleepy little town? 
Well, you've come to see Intelligent Business Machines, IBM for short, the leading producer of computers in the United States at the time. You're positive that if anyone has a solution to your problem, it's them. As you walk into their innocuous building, you're greeted by a representative who takes you to see a Mr. Horst Feistel. During meetings at the NSA, you've heard his name in passing, a brilliant man, degrees from MIT and Harvard, an impressive pedigree for sure, but doubts still linger in your mind as to whether or not he truly has a solution for your security problem. After ascending a few flights of stairs, you're led into a small room. It's noisy and hot, starkly different to the world outside. Along each wall is a series of large black boxes, the body of a supercomputer. A kindly middle-aged man with glasses and salt and pepper hair approaches you, and you hand off your briefcase to him. He briefly looks over the documents, then back up at you, with a slight grin stretching across his face. He gestures to the computers around him and claims these are the solution to your problem. In true deal-with-the-devil fashion, he calls it Lucifer. It's a cipher that employs the power of computers to encode messages and, little do you know, it's about to change the world. Following its inception, Lucifer proved to be an extremely powerful encryption algorithm, but it was merely a precursor of more powerful ciphers to come, the data encryption standard. The data encryption standard is a general description of a class of ciphers known as block ciphers. The beauty of Lucifer's particular encryption system was that it was optimized for the hardware limitations of the era's computers and leveraged the engineering advantage the United States had over its more industrialized competitors. It was so effective that the NSA would immediately adopt the system and use it to encrypt their secure communications, and even rolled it out to the civilian communication system as well. The cipher was made public and proved impervious to outside hacking due to the nature of the block cipher itself. This property arose from the fact that there were simply too many permutations for any human or typical machine to check through in a reasonable amount of time. This, of course, created another problem for the NSA, as they realized that subversive communications may not always originate from outside domestic borders. They may, in fact, come from within. The NSA were subsequently forced to deal with this problem and, in an ironic twist, ultimately implemented a backdoor to be able to tap civilian communications if and when the need arose. This backdoor came in the form of leaving the encryption techniques susceptible to brute force attacking, but it was hardly a true weakness, as only the most powerful supercomputers on the planet could even hope to test every combination in a reasonable amount of time and thus take advantage of the backdoor. Consequently, the NSA had effectively created an environment of nigh impervious communications, with only them holding the decryption key. At the time, Lucifer proved so impervious to outside hacking that the methodology that underpinned its encryption ciphers became known as the data encryption standard, and the block cipher became the default method of encoding messages to ensure their security. As technology improved through the 70s and 80s, the Lucifer cipher fell to the wayside. Not only had modern computers come far enough that brute force attacks became increasingly effective, but a technique called differential analysis helped to compromise the security of the cipher. However, codemakers still held the upper hand, as the theory of the block cipher still held secure. It just had to be adapted to higher bit counts. When Lucifer died, variants of the block cipher like IDEA and RC5 were born, improving upon the original model. Soon after, DES itself evolved, 
becoming the Advanced Encryption Standard AES, with Reendale being its first iteration, followed by Blowfish. Each new iteration made use of and improved upon the Data Encryption Standard model, and each new iteration grew increasingly useful and widespread, especially in the commercial sector. With the advent of electronic banking, DES and its subsequent descendants found themselves removed from war rooms and CIA communications and onto Wall Street, where market data was securely encrypted and communicated to bankers. Beyond even that, DES even became the encryption standard of all civilian communications, helping to keep even phone calls relatively safe from brute force hacking attempts. The, D the data encryption standard in the span of a few short decades became the premier method of encryption in the world, and though it would ultimately be phased out for stronger, more secure methods of encryption, it still stands at what, as what should be considered the precursor to all modern cryptographic techniques. Altogether, DES is deservingly regarded as the mother of all modern encryption algorithms, and rightfully so. So at this point, you're probably wondering, for all that DES is purported to be, how it works. Well, the data encryption standard is underpinned by what is known as a block cipher, a cipher wherein blocks of text are coded together. DES works by encrypting groups of 64 message bits, which is the same as 16 hexadecimal numbers. To perform the encryption, DES uses pseudo-keys, which are apparently 16 hexadecimal numbers long, or apparently 64 bits long. However, every eighth bit is ignored in the DES algorithm, so that the effective key size is 56 bits. This means that, in total, there are 2 to the 64th possible permutations of a message. More specifically, we can analyze the steps employed by the data encryption standard to encrypt messages. Our first step is the generation of 16 subkeys, each of which is 48 bits long. These keys stem from the 64-bit key's permutations into a 56-bit key and are encoded using a special table. From this 56-bit key, we split it into two halves, which we will refer to as C0 and D0. From these two initial keys, we can generate 16 blocks, C sub n and D sub n, where each pair of blocks is generated by shifting the bits of the previous block one spot to the left, except for the first bit, which is cycled to the end of the block. From these 16 blocks, we can now form 16 keys, called K sub n. Once again, we employ a permutation table to parse away 8 bits from each block pair, leaving 48 bits for each of the 16 subkeys. Now onto the message itself. Recall that we had to break the original message we are dealing with into blocks of 64-bit plaintext. For each of these blocks, there is an initial permutation, which also employs its own permutation table. This creates a permutation block, which we will once again split into two halves, a left and a right half, much like what we did with the keys. We will call these halves L0 and R0. We now proceed through 16 iterations using a function which operates on two blocks, a message block of 32 bits of data and a key of 48 bits. This will ultimately produce a block of 32 bits of ciphertext. By continuing to utilize the encryption function, we can proceed through each block of 32-bit text until the plaintext is fully enciphered, all while rotating keys to increase the complexity of the encryption. Now, what about breaking the data encryption standard? Or rather, what hoops would a Soviet intelligence agent have to jump through to break your encryption NSA director? Well, here we will outline two common ways of going about the task. 
First, we have the exhaustive key search. This method requires the ciphertext and simply reversing the encryption by testing all possible keys. While false positives may arise, knowing what you are looking for will allow our intrepid Soviet agent to parse them away. Still, it would take roughly 600 to 1200 years to complete this calculation on a single modern computer, let alone one from the 1970s. However, history has proven that differential and linear cryptanalysis will end up being far more useful for our Soviet spy. Differential cryptanalysis works on the idea of encrypting a vast number of plaintexts, like 2 to the 47th plaintexts, and using statistical analysis to search for signs of non-randomness in the ciphertext. These statistical patterns are called differentials and would be used to recover the key for the symmetric DES encryption algorithm. In the most basic sense, the agent would need to fix a difference and then compare potential keys between each round of decryption. The keys that recur the most often would then be deduced to be the proper key for the target ciphertext. Finally, the process of decryption follows the exact same process as encryption, just in reverse, as the DES is a symmetric encryption algorithm. To that end, the Soviet agent would just have to make sure that the encryption keys, from 16 to 1, are employed in reverse so as to reclaim the right message. This, however, is predicated upon the assumption that the agent has the computing power and time to try enough plaintext in order to employ differential cryptanalysis. With such intricacies and making sure to abuse the power of the computer to perform elementary calculations at previously unheard of speeds, Lucifer and the DES proved to be a force to be reckoned with during the Cold War and even beyond, helping to lay the groundwork for encryption algorithms to this day. So, intrepid NSA director, rest easy, knowing your communications are uncrackable and your encryption algorithms thorough and varied. It would seem like your little deal with the devil paid off, no soul selling required.